The book of Proverbs, we're going to look at the opening seven verses. So hear the word of the Lord this morning. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's pray. Lord, at the outset of this sermon series on Proverbs, we ask you, the God of all wisdom, to give us the wisdom which we so often lack and so desperately need. Or through the preaching of your word, Lord, would you impart wisdom to us? Would you increase our trust in you? Would you decrease our tendencies to be wise in our own eyes? Lord, in all our ways, enable us more and more to acknowledge you. Make our path straight as we grow in the fear of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Within a matter of seconds, even less than seconds, you can type in any topic, any question into the internet search engine of your choice and read almost everything about anything. And yet, despite this flood of information that we live under and in, doesn't it seem as if there is a drought when it comes to wisdom? There's a flood of information, but it seems as if there's not an equal flood of wisdom. There seems like there's a drought. So for example, I typed in the question, what are the best ways to manage your finances, to manage your money? And in 0.48 seconds, I got 6,250,000,000 search results. Now, if I, if I looked at each search result for one minute, I, I, would be, I would be dead by the time I got through not even half of them. With all that information that's available, 6,250,000,000 options to read on how to best handle your finances. Isn't it ironic that we live in a nation whose debt is north of $33 trillion. We live in a nation where student loan debt is north of $2 trillion. We live in a nation where households in America carry a combined consumer loan. We're not talking about residential. We're talking about consumer loan north of $17 trillion. There is no shortage of money management information but there seems to be a great shortage in money management wisdom. Now, think of it further. When you hold a smartphone in your hand, you hold a more capable and powerful technological tool than all the resources that NASA had combined to land a man on the moon in 1969. It's amazing. And yet, despite all the capabilities it offers, despite all the productivity and efficiency it promises, would you say that we're wiser in our use of time and in our ability to focus and eliminate distractions and not search for cat videos on YouTube? <laughs> in the late 1800s, early 1900s, before the advancements in modern transportation, if you wanted to communicate with someone across the country, so we're talking US here, you would have to take pen and inkwell, dip it in inkwell, write on paper, send the letter, wait 25 days for it to travel across the country, then wait 25 more days to receive 
communication back from the person you wrote to. Now, in that same time period, if you wanted to write to someone in Europe, kind of across the pond, as it were, your letter would travel at the astounding speed of 6 to 12 weeks, okay? One way. Then waiting 6 to 12 weeks on the way back. Now, today, you can connect with almost anyone, almost anywhere, at almost any time. No need for ink and well. So you'd assume, right, given that communication advancement, we are a relationally flourishing people. No one struggles with relational depression or anxiety. No one struggles with lonely statistics are probably the lowest they've ever been, correct? It's actually the opposite. Loneliness statistics are higher than they've ever been. Relational depression and anxiety is higher than it's ever been. Because with all this relational connectivity we have, there seems to be little relational wisdom and flourishing. To quote the words of a modern proverb, advancement does not always equal improvement. Even with advancement, there is always room for deprovement, right? To be able to live life as God intended it, you need something more than information. You need something more than technologically capable tools. You need something more than communication advancement. You need wisdom. You need wisdom. So starting today, and without your prior permission, I'm enrolling all of you in the prestigious school of Wisdom University, okay? Which happens to be offering, starting today, a free course on the art and skill of living wisely in God's world. Now, I'm doing this because I know something about you, okay? You might not know this about me. I'm a very insightful person, okay? Regardless of your age and stage in life, regardless of how many degrees you have, you are all in need of a continuing education in wisdom. And this is what Proverbs tells us. I know it because Proverbs tells us. I didn't, I didn't come up with this on my own. If you look at verse 4, it starts to list three groups of people who need to sign up for Wisdom University. It says, first, to give prudence to the simple. So that's, that's kind of the, the first entrance class. Those who are gullible, those who are impressionable, those who are young and need to be given a lot of discernment. But then the next group, knowledge and discretion to the youth. So they've grown up. They're not as impressionable, but they're still young. They, they lack the experience of the rest. And lest any of you think you're left out, it says in verse 5, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. So even if you're wise, even if you have experienced life, even if you've grown in areas, this course is always for you at all times. And so I should mention that there will be no degrees handed out at Wisdom Universe, not even participation trophies will be handed out here, because in this life, you will never complete this course and you will never graduate from this university. You need this class your entire life. You need this education in wisdom. So today, we're going to do what you do in most classes when you start out. We're going to look at the syllabus that is laid out for this course in Living Wisely in God's World as laid out in Proverbs 1, 1 to 7. So first, we're going to meet our instructor for this course. Look at Proverbs 1, 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So you have the privilege of having as your primary instructor in this course in wisdom, King Solomon himself. You get to be addressed by royalty. You probably watched you know, some of those royal coronations over in England and been a little bit jealous that we don't have something 
as fancy as that. Well, you get to hear from royalty in the uh, extent of this course. Now, by listing Solomon at the head of this book, this does not mean that every single ounce of material in Proverbs is original to him. Okay? In one sense, all wisdom and all the sayings of all wise people are a form of cosmic plagiarism. They're a form of cosmic plagiarism because God alone has wisdom in himself, but he's very generous with dispensing it to others. And so Solomon is wise only because God is generous with his wisdom. Now also, Solomon's listed at the head of the book, not because he's the only one who addresses us in Proverbs. There actually are going to be some guest lecturers along the way. So for example, there's a section where King Hezekiah addresses us. King Lemuel addresses us and, and so on and so forth. But Solomon is listed at the head of the book because when it comes to someone who personifies the human example of wisdom, Solomon is kind of the mascot of wisdom. He's the one whose reputation regarding wisdom stands out above the rest. So for example, we think of the law, you think of Moses. Moses is kind of the, the, the figurehead, the one who stands for the representation of the law. Solomon stands for the age of wisdom in the nation of Israel, the person of wisdom in the nation of Israel. So he's got some unique qualifications. One of them is that, as it says, he is the son of David. So that means he grew up in a royal household, received a royal education from a very wise man, his father, David himself. And so that's partly why he's qualified. But his main qualification comes from the prayer request he first made to the Lord when he was inaugurated as king of Israel. So in 1 Kings 3, you don't have to turn there. 1 Kings 3 starts to talk about the, the commencement of Solomon's reign as king. And the Lord appears to him at the beginning of this reign, and he makes him an offer that we would all love if the Lord appeared to us and made this offer. He says to Solomon, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Ask for whatever you want me to give you, and I'll grant it. So this is the offer above all offers. So God appears to you in a dream. He says, ask for me whatever you wish, and I'll give it to you. This is a blank check signed by someone with an infinite bank account. This is even better than kids. You remember Aladdin? Aladdin finds a lamp with a genie. He gets three wishes from one who has limited resources. Solomon gets one wish from one who has infinite resources. So what would you ask for if that offer was made to you? Ask for me whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. What would you ask for? So I surveyed uh, a select group of people that happened to be in my household, and the answers were to be Spider-Man, a million dollars, sixteen dollars, <laughs> godliness, and a ticket to Hawaii. Okay. Now I would have said a church building, but then I changed my answer and I said, no, no, no. If I could get a hole in one every time I hit a golf ball, then I could also buy a church building and I wouldn't have to need to ask for that. It, it's a fun question to think about, right? But that's not how Solomon thought about the request. Solomon was not thinking about what he wanted. He was thinking about what he needed. Given his calling, given his role, given what was before him and his responsibility, he thought, what do I need? I'm a king. I'm called to lead God's people. So what do I lack that I need more than anything? So here's how he replied to the Lord's offer. O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, 
an understanding mind to govern your people. Give me wisdom. Give your servant an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this, your great people. So he asks for wisdom. He gets one offer, or one request. He asks for wisdom. And you see, God's offer was as much an offer as it was really a test, okay? God, he's allowed to do that, okay? It's his classroom. And Solomon got an A plus on this test. So God grants him what he asked for. So here's how God answers his request. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. Now, they take anyone at that time who has a reputation for wisdom and Solomon far surpasses all of them. Even the Queen of Sheba comes from the East and says, I've only heard the half of your wisdom, which he hears from Solomon. So Solomon, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is uniquely qualified to be our instructor in this course on wisdom. But his role comes also with great controversy. He has some qualifications, but he has some not-so-qualifications, right? Because it seems that the only thing greater than Solomon's wisdom in his life was his foolishness in many ways. I mean, think about it. I'm supposed to learn wisdom on relationships like marriage from the guy who had 700 wives and 300 concubines. You have to be kidding. (laughs) I'm supposed to learn wisdom on guarding my heart and restraining my passions from the guy who didn't seem to do either of those things. You have to be joking. Well, God is serious and he's not kidding. God whose thoughts are not like our thoughts, whose ways are beyond our ways, loves at times to use crooked sticks to teach his people how to draw straight lines. In his grace, God loves to use broken and cracked jars of clay as vessels for carrying around his living water. In his wisdom, God chose to use a man whose foolishness and failures warn us as much as his wisdom and teaching instructs us. Think about this. Think about the people that the Lord used. He used David, the adulterer and murderer. He used Saul, the murderer and persecutor. He used Peter, the coward and denier. Can he not also use Solomon, the fool, to teach his wisdom? God truly works in a mysterious way. And he works in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform, so that we would know that all the glory of Solomon's wisdom belongs not to Solomon, but to the Lord. And God works in such a way that even foolish sinners like us can look at someone like Solomon and how the Lord uses him and think, if God can use him, certainly he can use me. If there's hope for Solomon, certainly there's hope for me. So that's our instructor for the course. Now, we're going to look at the learning objectives, the learning goals for this course in wisdom in Proverbs. And these objectives are laid out for us in verses 2 through 6. So verses 2 through 6, let me read those there. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. So in these verses, Solomon lays out for us 10 different words that are meant to describe kind of the 10 different goals, objectives, outcomes that a student 
should receive if they listen carefully and do their homework diligently in this course. So if you've ever read a course syllabus, if you've ever been through kind of a syllabus laying out an explanation, it always usually says something like this. So by the time student A completes this course, they should be able to count to 10, recite their ABCs, you know, no advanced calculus, something like that. That's what this section in Proverbs is. It's saying, when you submit to God's wisdom and listen carefully and learn diligently, this is how you're gonna grow. So what are the learning objectives for this course? Let me just take a sample of these words and kind of give you a flavor for what they're gonna be. So in taking this course, you will first and foremost grow in wisdom. So wisdom is the, the big picture word. It's the umbrella word. Everything else falls underneath it as kind of subcategories. So what is wisdom? Well, here's my best stab at a definition. Wisdom is the art and skill of knowing how to navigate the complexities of life in God's world. Wisdom is the art and skill of knowing how to navigate the complexities of life in God's world. So partly where I get that definition is that the term for wisdom, when it's used in scripture, is used in a number of interesting ways. It's used to describe the skill of the artist who is in charge of weaving together all the fabric to decorate the tabernacle in the wilderness. So it, it describes the skill of one who can weave and design something. It's also used to describe the skill of a metal worker who knew how to take metal and fire and a hammer and an anvil and shape it into something useful, something powerful, something strong. And this word wisdom is also used to describe the skill of a sailor who could take a ship with people on board, navigate a sea through storms and reach the destination that was intended without any modern technology. That's how wisdom is used throughout the scripture, the art and skill of navigating, of designing, of shaping something. So wisdom is more than knowing about something. It's knowing how to do something. So information or knowledge, just think of it like it's it's wood for a fire. Information and knowledge is the wood you need to start a fire. It's, it's very necessary, but it's not sufficient. Wisdom is like the ability to actually start a fire and keep it going. Or maybe you've heard it put this way before, very, very helpful. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting a tomato in a fruit salad, okay? If you wanna know the difference between knowledge and wisdom, start right there with fruit salads, okay? So you're gonna grow in wisdom in this course. Also in taking this course, you will grow in your ability to be instructed, or you could use the word corrected or disciplined. Remember growing up, I played sports. Um, I, I wasn't the greatest at sports, but I did okay. And I remember my parents always telling me, the key to being good at sports is teachability, teachability, teachability. If you want to be a good athlete, it's not necessarily a natural skill. It is teachability, teachability, teachability. And so that's what this word is kind of getting at. You need to grow, not just in learning things, but in your ability to be a learner, in your ability to be instructed. So think of the book of Proverbs as the instruction guide that assumes something very offensive about you, okay? So Proverbs assumes something very offensive about you, so brace yourself, okay? Proverbs assumes that foolishness comes naturally and easily to you, okay? Proverbs assumes that you don't need a course in foolishness because you're very well at being self-taught, okay? Proverbs assumes that you don't need any help when it comes to foolishness. You do very well on your own. In order to be wise, though, 
you need not just positive instruction, but corrective instruction as well. Because foolishness is so bound up in us naturally that we need discipline, we need correction, we need corrective instruction. As one author has said, Proverbs intends to step on your toes, but in doing so, it will discipline you to keep your feet in wisdom's path. Reading the book of Proverbs is profitable, but it is not meant to be comfortable at all times. It's meant to correct and discipline. So you'll grow in your ability to be teachable. In taking this course, you will also gain greater insight into life. You'll be more perceptive, okay? So this word insight comes from verse two and verse three, means the ability to see beyond the obvious to what is not obvious to everyone else. It it means seeing not just what's on the surface of something, but being able to see kind of beneath the surface, being able to help discern motives and intents and what, what else is going on. So think of insight, perception, like the difference between Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. So Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, they worked together, but they were very different people. When a client would walk into 221B Baker Street to meet with Holmes because they had a case going on, that client would then walk out of 221B Baker Street and Sherlock Holmes would be able to say 19 things about that person that Watson had no clue ever existed or were true. And he would ask, he would ask Holmes, how, how did you come up with that? And he said, elementary, my dear Watson. You see, but you do not observe. So the wisdom of Proverbs is meant to take a Dr. Watson and turn him into a Sherlock Holmes, help him see beyond the obvious to the non-obvious, to perceive into the deeper reality of things. So you're going to gain wisdom. You're going to gain teachability. You're going to gain perception. But also in taking this course, you will grow in your ability to be discerning to be discerning. This is probably, in terms of um, modern, present-day value, this one has the most value. We need this more than anything. Discernment is the ability to look at something, an idea, an advertisement, whatever, and see it and perceive it the way God sees it and perceives it. It's the ability to see something and evaluate it with God's evaluation standards. Okay? So we struggle in our day and age, with a general moral colorblindness. So we cannot always look at something, kind of an ethical dilemma, a moral choice, and tell the right choice from the wrong choice, always. And discernment is meant to help overcome that moral colorblindness so you can perceive things as they are. Green apple versus red apple. We also live in a world that has a thick fog when it comes to proper values and proper priorities. And so discernment is the ability to see through that fog and know not only what is good, but what is good, better, and best. So wisdom sometimes deals with what we call not just IQ, but MQ, moral intelligence, the ability to discern right from wrong. But then wisdom also deals with another category that goes beyond just right and wrong. It deals with VQ, value intelligence, the ability to discern what is good, what is better, and what is best. Because sometimes the question we ask is, is it a sin? And sometimes the answer is, well, no, it's not necessarily a sin, but is is it the best choice? Is it the best way? And wisdom helps us think about good, better, and best. So the ability to be discerning. Now, last learning objective we'll look at is this. In verse six, we are shown that through this course, we'll be better able to understand and apply a proverb. So verse six says this, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. So this book 
is named after its primary method of communication. So this book is not so much lectures as it is uh, short, compact sentences. So a proverb is a very tightly compacted statement that is packed full of practical wisdom from for everyday, ordinary life. So think of a Proverbs like ordering a memory foam mattress from the internet. So I don't know if you've ever ordered a memory foam mattress from the internet, let alone any other place, but we ordered a, a queen-size mattress, memory foam mattress, and it arrives at our door, and it's anything but queen-size. It, it's, it's, it's actually in a short or a very stubby but long box and it was much smaller than i was expecting but yet when i cut open the box you know there is a mattress in there but it's it's wrapped very tightly in in um thick plastic well then i cut away the plastic and what happens well out unfolds this 10 inch thick queen size mattress that was tightly packed into this small box that's a bit like what a proverb is like it is a short tightly compacted statement that when you look at it and examine it and meditate on it further and live life, it starts to unfold and unpack lots of practical, ordinary, everyday life wisdom. So think of a proverb like this. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life, yet he who opens wide his lips will come to ruin. Okay, that was a proverb that was probably pounded into my head as a kid. You know, the modern proverb version of it is, Better to be thought a fool than open your mouth and remove all doubt, okay? <laughs> Parents always reminded me of that. The more you meditate on that proverb, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin, you'll realize that, and the more you live life, you'll realize, and the more you just deal with other people and observe other people, you realize that short sentence is packed full of life-giving, practical wisdom. So that's what a proverb is. But with each proverb, we not only want to understand them, the goal is to apply them. Wisdom is not just knowing about, it's knowing how. So a general wisdom formula that I found helpful is this. The, kind of the path of wisdom of applying a proverb is this. You need the right proverb, applied at the right time, applied in the right way, and that equals the right result. So kind of the general wisdom formula for proverbs is the right proverb plus the right time plus the, plus the right way equals the right wise result. Okay, it's not a guarantee every time, but it's a general formula. See, we need not only to understand a proverb, but we need to know there is an appropriate time and appropriate manner for implementing it. Here's an example of that. Let's say my wife has been up cleaning all night. She's been, she's been up late, went to bed maybe 3 a.m. because she was doing laundry. She's cleaning the house. She's preparing grocery orders. She was going over school curriculum, doing all sorts of other things. And it's 8.30 a.m. the next day, and I'm getting hungry and the natives are getting restless. So what should I do? There's two Proverbs I get to pick from, okay? Should I A, go to my wife and quote Proverbs 26:14, As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on their bed, okay? okay? Wait, wait for the next one, okay? Or should I B, consider all the hard work she did the night before, and teach my kids what it looks like to practice Proverbs 31, 28, and 29. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. So A or B. I mean, it's a, it's a tough choice, let's be honest, okay? <laughs> but it's there, there are Proverbs 
that are right. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a slugger. That, that's true. But is that the right time and the right manner to appropriate it? And so wisdom requires not only knowing about the proverb, but knowing how to implement it at the right time in the right way. And so if it weren't for wisdom, if it weren't for correction and teachability, if it weren't for insight and discernment that the Proverbs offer us, you and I would end up in the doghouse of fools many, many times. So we need this course. So we've met our instructor. We've reviewed the learning objectives for this course. Now we need to go over one final part of the syllabus. This course has one essential entrance requirement. You want to take this course, if you want to glean from what it offers, there is one essential entrance requirement in Proverbs 1.7. Look there with me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So this is not just the entrance requirement for the course. This is the motto of the whole university. Wisdom University is about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you want to know the summary of the whole book of Proverbs in a nutshell, it's this verse right here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Everything that Proverbs has to teach you is contained in that verse. And nothing that Proverbs wants to, wants to teach you will be of any benefit for you if you don't have this verse written on your heart. So Solomon says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What does he mean by that? Well, he doesn't mean that the fear of the Lord is like learning your ABCs and learning two plus two equals four. And then once you get that down, you move on to bigger and better things and you leave that kind of behind. That's not what he means. The fear of the Lord is the beginning in that it is both the doorway into wisdom and is the pathway that you always walk on if you want to be wise. The fear of the Lord is the doorway and the pathway of wisdom. So in one sense, the fear of the Lord is the ABCs, but it's also Shakespeare. In one sense, the fear of the Lord is two plus two equals four, but it is also AP calculus. It is the doorway and the pathway of wisdom. And the reason the fear of the Lord is the one entrance requirement in this course is because our need for wisdom is not primarily an information problem. It's not primarily a life experience problem. It's not a practical application problem or a tool problem. The reason this is the one requirement for us is because our problem with wisdom is primarily a heart and a relationship problem. Wisdom is first and foremost not about content, but about a relationship. It is first and foremost not about practice, but about the heart. That's why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. See, foolishness, is bound up in our hearts. It is native to our hearts and wisdom is strange and foreign to us because we are born with a sin nature. We are born facing away from God and running away from God, leaning on our own understanding, being wise in our own eyes naturally. And so, as the modern proverb says, he who has himself for a teacher has a fool for a student. It's only when we turn to the Lord and acknowledge our dependence on him it's only when we turn to the Lord, acknowledging our foolishness and that he is the one who is wise. That's when we begin to be truly wise. That's when we start out on the right foot in this course, in this university. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? This is, this is shown all over the, the wisdom literature of scripture in the Psalms, in Job, in Ecclesiastes. And it's gonna come up a couple times here in Proverbs. What is the fear of the Lord? Well, the fear of the Lord 
is that kind of unmeasurable, undefinable mixture of reverence and trembling, of dependence and humility, of joy and delight that fills our hearts when we acknowledge who God is and what he has done for us. So the fear of the Lord, you can't really quantify it. It's hard to measure it. It's hard to define it, but it's that mixture of reverence and trembling, dependence and humility, joy and delight that fills our heart when we realize that God is our infinite superior and yet immeasurably loves us. That's what the fear of the Lord is. So let me illustrate. When I think of the fear of the Lord, I think of that scene in The Wind and the Willows. So if you've never read The Wind and the Willows, it is one of the best classic children pieces of literature that should be enjoyed by all adults. And in The Wind and the Willows, Rat and Mole, these are talking characters just like in Narnia, they venture out into the woods and they're looking for baby otter. And they encounter in nature, in, in the grandiose of nature, the presence of God. And here's what happens. Suddenly, the mole felt a great awe fall upon him, an awe that turned his muscles to water, bowed his head, and rooted his feet to the ground. It was no panic terror. Indeed, he felt wonderfully at peace and happy. Rat, he found breath to whisper, shaking. Are you afraid? Afraid, murmured the rat, his eyes shining with unutterable love. Afraid of him? Oh, never, never. And yet, and yet, O oh mole, I am afraid. Then the two animals, crouching to the earth, bowed their heads and worshipped. That's one illustration of what the fear of the Lord looks like. But another way to illustrate it, when I think of the fear of the Lord, I think of two different responses that Peter had to Jesus in the scope of Jesus' ministry. So one is when they're fishing. They're fishing, they've been fishing all day. These are professional fishermen. They've caught nothing, which means there's probably nothing to catch since they're professionals. Jesus comes to him, it's, been, it's late in the day, and he says, cast your nets over one more time. And they kind of reluctantly, begrudgingly do it. They throw their nets over. And when they pull them in, it's so heavy and it's so full that the nets are threatening to burst apart. And Peter's response is not, hey, would you come and fish with us every day? We would really love this. would be great for business. His response is, depart from me for I am a sinful man. Why is, it his, why is that his response? Because he knows that in the boat with him, near him, is no ordinary man. He is in the presence of an infinite superior, one who is far greater than him. And he recognizes his own humility before him. The other example of the fear of the Lord is in John 6. In John 6, Jesus gives this sermon where people think he's promoting cannibalism. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And yet there's a lot of wisdom in what he's saying, but people don't understand it. So they all leave and depart from him. And Jesus looks at his disciples. He said, are you going to go away as well? And Peter says, Lord, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So there's this, this undefinable, unmeasurable mixture in the fear of the Lord of this. It almost pushes you away at one sense and makes you keep your distance, but it also draws you in and compels you to come. And Peter illustrates both of those. And then when I think of the fear of the Lord, I think the prime example is the example that our Lord Jesus himself gives. Because the fear of the Lord is something that only he embodied perfectly and fully. So Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, staring crucifixion in the face and staggering and stumbling at the thought of it. And yet what does he do in that moment? He does not trust in his own understanding. He does not become wise in his own eyes. Instead, in the fear of the Lord, in humility and dependence, he says, yet not as I will, Father, but as 
you will. That's the fear of the Lord. That's what the fear of the Lord looks like. That is the doorway and the pathway of wisdom. So that's the introduction to this class and the introduction to this sermon series. Now, just quickly, at the outset of this sermon series, what are some practical ways that you can dig deeper into the book of Proverbs? So we're beginning this. There's a lot of book left to go. So maybe thinking, how, how can I dig into this? Well, maybe if you have kids at home, I have a number of family devotional books that are aimed at kids that you can utilize to kind of give your kids an overview of the book of Proverbs that we have found beneficial in our own home that I'd be happy to share with you. Another way to do it is Proverbs has 31 chapters. It's October 1st today. There's 31 days in October. And some people have done this before where you, this is not intentional. I didn't, I didn't design this intentionally, but you just take one chapter a day of Proverbs for 31 days and you get through the whole book and you can kind of dig deeper into you know a chapter. Or maybe you like to go even more specific. You like to narrow it down. Pick a particular theme in Proverbs and read through the book of Proverbs and highlight any verse related to that theme and then kind of collect the verses together and organize and arrange them and kind of categorize them in ways that are helpful. So maybe you don't want to just do too big picture, but you want to pick a particular theme of Proverbs, like relationships or money or something like that. Or here's what you can do to be even more specific. Pick one specific proverb, okay? And meditate on it. Kind of restate it in your own words. Think through the different circumstances and times that it would apply. Or here's a way to be creative. Maybe you're a creative person. This is, this is not me. I'm more of organizer. Take that proverb, and if that proverb were a painting, what would it look like? And then, and then draw it. And you can share the picture with me, and maybe I'll give you candy or something. Or if that proverb were a short story or a fairy tale, what would that story look like? How would that proverb play out in a story? It's a helpful way to kind of think through what the proverb looks like and sounds like and would be implemented like. So that's how you can dig deeper into the book of Proverbs so that we can grow together in the fear of the Lord and truly become wise, not in our own eyes, but under his lordship and sovereignty. Let's pray to that end.